Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered with me, James Gray of iNews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. Uh, I've got both George Belshaw and Calvin Betton. Um... I apologise in advance for George's sound quality. He's in the middle of a very complicated house move that involves some sort of surgery and now the very dubious view of him on his phone in bed. So um, I assure you, I won't be uploading this video to YouTube and you can all be spared that particular site. Calvin is in prison, or as it's also known, the National Tennis Centre. And we're going to look back at what should have been the match of the year between... Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic turned out that it wasn't for various reasons, which we'll come on to. Uh, we'll also briefly look ahead to the women's final, but there's a good chance by the time you listen to this that will already have happened. So we'll talk a bit more about the men's final, uh, which obviously is coming up on Sunday. Uh, but let's start with Alcaraz Djokovic. George, I, I saw on my timeline this morning your tweet saying you, you couldn't remember the last time you were so excited for a tennis match and uh, whatever the outcome, it should be a belter. I mean, for two hours, it was. Yeah, I, I do have a habit of jinxing these things, actually. Whenever I tweet something expressing my enjoyment or potential enjoyment of tennis, it is then, without fail, an absolute dud. Um, no, I mean, look, it, it was a really, really good first two sets. It was really intriguing, particularly the second. Um, that kind of final four or five game uh, run at the end of the second set where there were three breaks and some kind of outrageous tennis. I mean, Alcaraz was playing some fabulous stuff and Novak, I, I kind of texted you guys before and I said, I, I don't think Novak's level was really there earlier in the tournament. I don't think it's been there in the whole play season, um, but he played some absolutely brilliant stuff, particularly in big points, which we shouldn't be that surprised about. But just when, you know, we've not seen him really hit the heights since Australia, um, I, I was a little bit sceptical if he could actually kind of handle Alcaraz. And, you know, he admitted himself after the match, he was physically tiring at the end of that second set. And you were thinking, God, if this match goes five sets, we're going to be here for, for five hours, basically. And 
you know, it, it would have been interesting had it gone that way. But um, it, it's classic Novak, though, isn't it? He just puts pressure on people. And, you know, Alcaraz was really honest about it, that it was a nerves thing. It was about who was on the other side of the net. It's not really happened to him before. It's not the first youngster this has happened to. I mean, Massetti had it, didn't he, as well, against Novak. Um, I think there's someone else as well, but I can't remember who it was. He, he just he just knows how to navigate these things, and you know, fair play to him. He'll, he's going to win this tournament. I'd be shocked if he lost the final <laughs> to Casper Ruud. Um, and he's it, just he's just a force of nature, really. Um, Calvin, I heard several people yesterday say no players ever get cramp in practice. Is that true? Have you ever actually seen a player cramp in practice? I think I have actually, but then again, you know, you don't practice for. Players will tend to practice for, you know, two hours max at a time and then do another two hours, then maybe some lunch and then another two hours after that. So, you know, there's an argument going, well, why don't they practice for four hours to be ready for matches? And, mm. you know, it's certainly something in the doubles somebody pointed out to me a few weeks ago that, you know, doubles players and I guess singles players as well, we always do this one practice set thing and then shake hands, you know, one practice mm. set. If there's 10 minutes left, do a tie break and then shake hands. But players tend not to play practice matches anymore. I think it's mm. something that has gone out of the game in the last sort of 10, 15 years. Um, Did people probably... use it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, you know, I think you'd you'd certainly have, you know, two, two and a half hour practice sessions where, where they just crack on and play best of three or something like that. But mm. nowadays, I think with the influx of strength and conditioning and periodization, which I do have some thoughts on that I'm not sure it's actually made anybody that much fitter um, because, you know, you still seem to have more injuries and we're still getting 19-year-olds in peak physical condition cramping after two hours tennis. Mm. So, um, What is periodization for the layman? Uh, periodization is where you plan, you would plan... You could you plan your whole week, but then you'd plan your month and then the longer term well in advance, knowing exactly how many hours and what kind of load you've got you're going to be doing. So you can go right and, the, you know, sort of a, a standard, a simplified periodized week would be we're going to go two hard days, Monday, Tuesday, then a lighter day on a Wednesday, two hard days, uh, Thursday, Friday, and then either the full weekend off or a lighter day on Saturday and Sunday off. And it's just that it's planning which days you're going to go hard, which days you're going to go lighter, and then which days you're not going to play at all and which days you're going to rest. And that would include, that would factor in tennis and strength and conditioning training as well. Interesting. Okay. Um, within the context of that then... And that would also, sorry, that would also factor into your tournaments, what you're looking to be in peak condition for, which tennis is always a difficult one, to be fair, because unless you're the very top players in the world, there are really no tournaments that are more important than other tournaments because you take wins at any that you can get. I see. Um, within the context of that then, I think it's quite interesting that this week, as he did in the US when he won the title, Carlos Alcaraz has barely been practising on his off day. Um, he did because obviously the way the draw works, he played Tuesday and then Friday, so he had two days off. And he did practice uh, on Wednesday, but for the most part has basically not been hitting on his day off. And clearly that's a kind of load management thing. And well, I mean, I, I don't, I, it sounds like you would fall on one side of that, Calvin, but 
is there a chance that that can contribute actually in a negative way? Um, I mean, there's always a chance, and it's one of those that if you if however you train during the week, unless you win the tournament, somebody will ask questions of the way that you've trained, one way or another. <laughs> you will put it down as you you know, and it, it can often go down. And I, I don't really like it when players do this when they they always sort of or some players will will always put the blame on preparation. And and you know that most of the time it's a nonsense and it's kind of sometimes a get out for to just rather than go, I've just got to do better there on the court. Mm. I've just got to I've got to do better, I've got to win those points. They'll always go, oh, you know, maybe if I'd have done this before, maybe I've done that before. It's you know, that that's something I'm not a fan of. But it's certainly strange to not practice on off days. Um now I know because I was there it was absolutely roasting in Paris. Um mm. And I don't know whether that factored into it. And you don't know whether, you know, it, it's obviously backfired now, but I do wonder whether Alcaraz's team have thought, look, realistically, we're getting to the semi-finals here and we're going to play Djokovic. And again, coming back to this idea of periodization, whether they've thought, we're, we're getting to the semis anyway, we're going to play Djokovic, we need to be have a full tank when we play him, and whether they've undercooked it a little bit on that. But I don't think that... I'd find it difficult to believe that over a period of two weeks that he's got less fit um, because he has been playing matches as well. It's not... If he'd have got there and had been playing matches and hadn't trained, then you could go, yeah, fair enough. But I'd find it difficult to believe that. I I think it, it, it can only be cramps. This this thing that we we just don't really know what it what it is or we know little bits about it but we don't really know why it comes about because there's no question that pressure is pressure comes in factors into cramp and press cramp is the only thing is the only physical thing that actual mental pressure affects when you think about it it's the only injury in inverted commas that it affects and you see this on football all the time when you see footballers in big matches they're cramping up at the end of it but they play, footballers always play 90 minutes. It's not that, you know, that's a set time limit. It's not like tennis. So you see footballers cramping up at the end of a big semi-final or something. And you think, well, you weren't cramping again, you know, in that mid-table clash that you played two days ago. And that can only be for, that can only be that they're, it's the mental pressure that they put on themselves that factors into the physical side of things. Yeah, and, I, I and also, we know that. Sorry, George. We know that Carlos Alcaraz is one of the. Well, he, he, he might be the fittest player on tour, mm. and he's cramping after two hours. Yeah, I, I mean, I was going to just reflect that. As much as anything, we can talk about his physical preparation, but he, he was probably more undercooked in the rest of his matches, from the sense of he didn't really get in that many stressful positions, did he? Like yeah. it was quite a quite an easy run. Like you think Sissipas on paper should be a good warmer up for a Djokovic match in terms of who you want to play. You know, he's someone who's you're not expecting to lose to if you're Alcaraz probably, but you're expecting it to be a, a good match where someone can push you to a decent level and kind of build that that side of things up. And that that was a complete damp squib. I mean he was absolutely terrible since the past. Yeah. So you know no, it getting ready to play someone like Novak, who you know has been there, done it all the time, the amount of effort Alcaraz had to put in to win a set, really, um, you know, it's kind of less surprising. But, yeah, I mean, it's a funny thing, cramp. I, mean, I used to cramp all the time when I was younger. I'm not claiming to be an elite physical athlete. But it, it definitely would not be in stressful situations. I think it would be like lack of kind of 
salt or fluids that I'd taken on. So there's definitely a kind of physical side to it as well. But Calvin's absolutely right for these kind of top, top athletes to be kind of feeling that in big moments, in big pressure situations. It's, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the more fascinating physical things that, that happens in sport. I, I think it's, I'm not saying that it's it's all mental, George. It's obviously like most cramps, like 80, 85, 90% of cramps are purely from physical, they're from fatigue. Um, and a lot of people don't know that cramp can actually cause serious injury as well. That if I've, I've had one actually where when I was back when I was playing tennis where I cramped and tried to keep playing with the cramp. And what happens basically when you cramp is that your muscles twist. That's in layman's term, your, your muscles twist. And if you keep playing it, it'll just cramp more. They'll twist to the degree that I, I ruptured a calf muscle when I, uh, I got wow. cramped once and I got internal bleeding from it. I was, couldn't play tennis for about three months. Oh my word! My um, my my funniest cramp story. I think I was just sat at home on my work desk, and no one was in my. This is when I was like fourteen, in my parents' house, and I cramped in both my legs, in the hamstrings and the calves at the same time. <sighs> Fell off this chair and was on the floor cramping for like half an hour. And my mum just comes, <laughs> "What the hell are you doing?" I was lying on the floor, just in absolute agony. Was, I, I have um, a couple of I have a couple of funny tennis cramp stories actually from the Futures Tour. That one one time there were a couple of lads playing and and neither of them were very good, but both thought they were very good. Um, and it went to tie break in the third set, and um, one of the players got a full body cramp at match point down, and it was actually a full body cramp because you could see basically see his like legs twitching. Um, from the side of the court, and his opponent—they didn't really get on. And the guy who basically was match point up and wasn't full body cramping went absolutely nuts that he hadn't given him his moment because he had to retire. That he hadn't given him his moment to celebrate the win. And um, <laughs> but then the same player, the, the same player who won that match, about a year later, I saw get a full arm cramp from doing a fist pump, which might be the funniest <laughs> thing I've, I've ever seen. <laughs> About four hours, <laughs> like, won a shot. He had Bashi shot down the line, did a fist bump, and then fell on the floor in agony because his, <laughs> his arm had cramped from doing a fist bump. So, is it a hugely yeah. stressful situation, Calvin? I mean, it's <laughs> as stressful as it can be at first round 15k qualifying, I would think. <laughs> <laughs> Seven people watching, six of whom are umpires aligned to just, um, but um, yeah, it's 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 a fun, it's just a funny one, and of course, you, you just don't know when it's going to happen. You, you, yeah. don't, you get athletes who've never suffered from cramp suddenly start suffering. And as well, it's one of those as well. It's it's brutally painful when it happens. Yeah. But it's also something that, and I know people who've had cramp. I've seen have cramp on football pitches and tennis pitches. And then when somebody gets cramp on a, like a tennis match, they go, oh, they're such a wuss, just play through it. And, and it's like, no, I remember when you had it and you were writhing around in pain and you couldn't play on Um yeah, I mean, I, I was going to ask that, Calvin. Like, I, my, one of my things I was thinking about this was like footballers, they do get cramped and then they seem to go on quite easily and it, it, they, they lie down with their legs up and do it. I was wondering if Alcaraz actually was treated well enough for it. It didn't seem like he got in the right position to kind of actually really effectively well, treat it. I don't know if that's just falling on the floor, but... Did the, did the trainer do enough? Is that a harsh thing to kind of ask? Well, I don't. I'm not sure about that. But what I will say is, it can go away. You know, it's like you th- I think again, people think that it's like it's there. It's not like an injury as such that if you if you pull a hamstring, it doesn't go away. You can get cramped for about five minutes, very hard. 
very bad and then it can if you you know you take a bit of fluid on take some salts on and treat it then it can go and you can play for another two hours comfortably um and it's the problem is i think if you try and play on while it's still while you're still cramping that that's where the problem comes you've got to if you can wait and obviously tennis with the time constraints you just can't wait you've got to sort of give games away like what what happened yesterday yeah i, mean, I can't remember the last time i saw that i was going to say just on that kind of yeah, giving I, up I, games I mean... Just, I mean, just to two points. One, Caroline Makova had cramp in her semi-final in the second set. Yeah. And, you know, it went away and she won. Um, mostly because Sabalenka's brain cramped. As far cramped, as yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but the other point, yeah, I mean, so for people who maybe didn't watch it or didn't quite understand what happened, and a lot of the people in the stadium didn't understand what happened, <laughs> is at the last point of the second game, Alcaraz hit a return into the net and cramped, went over. And so it was one all, and Alcaraz was due to serve. And again, people might not know this, but players are not allowed to take a medical timeout for cramp. So if he torn his hamstring, or, or I don't know, you know, picked up an injury in that moment, then he could have a medical timeout and then resume and serve. But because it was cramp, he could only receive treatment at the next changeover for the minute of the changeover. And in order to get to the changeover, he obviously had to forfeit his service game. Um, and so the crowd didn't really know what was going on until play resumed and all of a sudden Djokovic was serving and it was, he was 2-1 up. And the best thing was they booed so much that the umpire, Aurelie Duarte, felt she had to like say, no, no, children, I'll explain and then you'll be quiet. <laughs> and she was like, the rules are very clear on cramp. I gave Mr. Alcaraz the option to carry on or take treatment and forfeit the game. And it was his choice to forfeit the game. So it's your own time you're wasting at this point, lads. Uh, so we'll just we'll wait for you to stop booing and then we'll carry on. It was very funny. Do we like that rule about cramp not being considered a, a physical problem? I th- the problem I, is, I mean, it's, not, it, it, it's not that it's not considered a physical problem. You can't. The rule is you can't get treatment for something um, that hasn't occurred in the match, and it's not strict. So you can't come. You can't get treatment for something. Say you you've been suffering from a shoulder injury um, before before the match starts. You can't start the match and then get a medical timeout for the shoulder injury. That's one of the rules. Now, where cramp sort of rolls into that a little bit is that it can be considered a, a physical conditioning mm. um, injury. So the argument is, and I know there's. I'm not actually strictly sure where the rule fully sits on it, but there used to be a rule that you couldn't get treated for cramp at all. Like, they wouldn't let the trainer come on for cramp, even within the time limits. So there was an incident at Wimbledon between a match between Sergei Bruguera and Pat Rafter a good 20 years ago, where this first came about. And I can't even remember which one of it, which one of the players it was who was struggling with cramp, but they weren't allowed to let the, the trainer come on at all because the argument is, is that basically you haven't physically prepared enough um, to do it, but I also think the reason why the reason why they do that is it's also one of those that you know players, players, life being life and sporting athletes being sporting athletes, people will cheat, and there are certain players, and there might have been there might have been allegedly one player on the court yesterday who has previously been alleged of um, taking advantage of the cramp rules as they currently stand hmm. when he so, was losing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, the so the rules now are, and and Alcaraz found this out to his um, to his 
disadvantage, I suppose, is that you can only receive treatment in the changeover, and you can only receive two lots of treatment for cramp. So he had treatment, he had a massage in for a minute uh, in that changeover, and then he said to the other, uno mas, see, you know, one more. And she was like, yeah, one more. And so at the next changeover, he had treatment, and then it's just like, you know, he, he, I didn't see him eat anything, which I thought... Uh, I, we should actually give a huge shout-out to Andy Roddick, who... Uh, in the words of one quote retweet, nose ball. And he proved it once again yesterday on Twitter when he said, I'm going to keep an eye on those legs, starting to pump the ball, Carlos Alcaraz trying to shorten points even more. And Carlos Alcaraz cramped about three minutes later. Like, it was proper Nostradamus stuff. Um, and yeah, he, he made the point. He was like, oh, he needs to pace himself for the next 20 minutes. No big runs, has to sacrifice this set if needed. Take every bit of time between points. Has to start eating consistently immediately. And I did think that was strange that he wasn't eating because it it would have seemed like an obvious solution. But, you know, he's young and inexperienced. He doesn't necessarily know what to do. I wasn't able to see the whole incident. I was keeping an eye on it. But did he take a toilet break in the time? Yeah. Did he, he, so he took end a of toilet the break. Third, no, maybe? he went at the... I'm trying to remember now. Yeah, end of the third set. Took a toilet break at the end of the third yeah, set. So that, that was, you know, that created... He was slightly better after that, wasn't he? I mean, you're basically looking... What, what you, I mean, the best the thing what treats cramp the most is time. Like, you, you want, you've got to wait while it goes. I mean, even the... I found, to be honest, that even the stuff with the... Like you say, what the footballers do where they push the leg down, I think that's yeah. kind of negligible. I wonder, <laughs> I've always wondered whether that's a bit of a placebo type thing. Yeah. That, that it's... Mm-hmm. Basically, you want... I mean, again... It's back when I was playing, so it's, you know, sport nutrition has moved on pretty quick. The best thing was isotonic drink and a bag of crisps, a bag of ready salted crisps. Because <laughs> you need to get salt on. Salt. You need to get salt on. Yeah. And that's, that's the easiest way to do it. Um, yeah. But, but the main thing is time. And with a toilet break, you can kind of kill time. Yeah. Well, I mean, Novak took a six and a half minute toilet break yesterday, which, which some people alleged, you know, that was just before <laughs> the cramp happened. And some people said that that helped create the cramp. I don't think so. I think probably the 77 minute second set was what really helped create the cramp. Yeah. I mean, look, no, Novak's been there and done it before and he, he knows how to slow a match to his will, if you like. And that, there's no question, you know, I'm not saying Novak caused the cramp. There's no question he was taking the sting out of that match at that moment. Like, I highly doubt he was doing a six-minute poo or something. <laughs> it was like he need he wanted to change the rhythm. He knew Alcaraz was getting on top and kind of, yeah. you know, I, it's within the rules, I suppose, so it's, it, it's fine. But well, I mean, I, I was going to say, though, the other thing that we've kind of forgotten about here is that the, the only person to actually have a medical timeout of the match was Djokovic. I mean, kind of in that yeah. in that second set, he had like a really long kind of massage on his forearm and looked like he was kind of physically sore. That, that's how it was disintegrated into the memory now. Shaking out his right wrist, which I mean, he sort of he didn't he didn't really answer the question when asked about it afterwards. But that is basically you ask Djokovic about anything when it comes to like physical conditioning or injury, and he just deflects pretty heavily. But I mean, a lot of players do, in fairness. Um, the, the other person that I wanted to give credit to for saying something sensible on Twitter, and I think this must be a tennis unfiltered first, is Nick Kyrgios, um, who said, feel for Alcaraz, just a big learning process. Pretty sure every tennis player goes through this feeling, cramping due to nervous energy and the anxiety of playing a match with this magnitude. He will learn how to deal with this eventually in the future for sure. Then we should be scared. 
Um, and sure enough, Carlos Alcaraz kind of confirmed it and said it was the tension of the match. He said it was the most tense he's ever felt on a tennis court. Um, he started. I mean, he did start nervously. Like that was pretty obvious just from the tennis. He wasn't playing his natural game. I I was sitting next to Simon Briggs at the Telegraph, and I kept saying to him, "Why isn't he hitting his inside in forehand? That's like the best shot he has." And I think it was basically fear. Because obviously to hit the inside in forehand, you've got to retreat into the corner. And he was like, well, if Djokovic gets this back, he's going to hit it cross-court and I'm going to have to sprint across to try and get to it. Whereas for the rest of the tournament, he was just hitting that shot completely remorselessly and usually for a winner. I don't think it was till about the middle of the second set that he hit an inside in forehand winner. So, um, yeah, he just really did struggle to to kind of come back and and stand up in that moment. Where, where do we think this leaves this this rivalry in the inverted commas? Like what, what are our kind of big big takeaways from it? It felt like the level was pretty similar, like or Alcaraz arguably slightly higher at points. I thought, but Novak just has a hold on the tour, doesn't he? This kind of these slams, you, you expect Alcaraz to break very soon. But tactically, Novak was really good. Like, really, like you know, he knows where Carlos Alcaraz's weaknesses are. Um, the wide forehand, which is, which is a miracle in his. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, many, I didn't realize he had any, but um, no, he was hitting the backhand down the line a lot um, because he clearly thought that Alcaraz's like you know wide forehand wasn't great, and then it seemed to work. Um, but yeah, I, I think tactically, he just has a big brain, and Alcaraz will work it out. I don't think that it's necessarily that he doesn't think his wide forehand's very good, James. It's more that when you're playing against that type of player and. The match was going to be, basically, everybody knew it was going to be a straightforward. Alcaraz was going to come out. He was going to try and hit through Djokovic. And it was whether Djokovic could make enough balls until he made the errors. Now, if you're playing somebody who's going to hit so big as Alcaraz does, you just want you want you you don't want them to be able to set their feet. So you want to keep them on the move. So I think the backhand down the line and that kind of thing was he was never letting... He was just keeping him away from the middle of the core. And that's what he started off. Even the first two or three points of the match, for certainly the two, first two games... He basically started off almost moonballing. He was just mm. moonballing into the corners, and he was just saying, "I'm giving. I'm, you're going to have to hit winners from above shoulder height and from the corners, which is basically impossible to do." And he never let him set. And I noticed something that it, it came again to something that I think we'll see Djokovic when when he plays Alcaraz again. If he plays him in anything other than a slam, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if he doesn't do that. Because what you what you find Djokovic tends to do is he finds a way to beat somebody. And then in the matches that he doesn't deem as important, he won't do that. He'll try and beat him another way. And then come the next slam, he'll be moonballing into the corners again. Yeah, I think that's a very fair reflection. And the last match between Djokovic and Alcaraz was a bit of a funny one. It didn't feel like Novak was that arsed for long points of it. It was quite a good match, but it wasn't like, I don't know, he he does just lock in and kind of change tactics at the time. The other thing I was going to say, I mean, how good is his backhand down the line? I mean, that is a shot that I, I don't think anyone will ever hit as well. There was one break point, wasn't there, in that I can't remember his first or second set now, but kind of clipped the outside of the line, and you're like, he's made that look so easy. And it's one of the hardest shots in tennis, and he's just consistently delivered that throughout his entire career. I mean, it's just a, a fabulous, fabulous shot, that backhand up the line. Mm. Um yeah, I mean, especially with where I was sat yesterday, uh, just like basically looking down the line of that shot. Um, and it's just, 
I mean, it, the, there are two great shots in that match, right, that the two players have. And one is Djokovic's down-the-line backhand, and the other one is Alcaraz's running forehand pass. Brilliant. Which is just, oh. I, like, people talk about the drop shot a lot, and actually it wasn't very good yesterday. Djokovic probably hit better drop shots than Alcaraz did. Um, but the running pass, like, hit basically, what, having watched Beatrice Haddad Meyer do it relentlessly on Thursday, and then Alcaraz do it on the other side of the court, because obviously he's right-handed on Friday. I mean, it's just... It's just a joy to behold, and I can't tell you the atmosphere. Like it was, it was like a football match. Like my ears, I had to get the noise cancelling headphones on at one point because I was struggling to concentrate with the noise. <laughs> like it was properly loud. You were um, probably uh, panicking about having to write a retirement story, but there's nothing worse <laughs> in sport journalism than that happening because you're like, this match could end at any second. You're writing what's called like an on the whistle. Yeah. You have no idea when the whistle could bloody go. You've got Alcaraz sat there being like, oh, saying in Spanish, I'm going to have to retire if this carries on. So you get a Djokovic gets walkover to the final pieces, Alcaraz wilts, whatever. And then as it goes on, you're like, oh no, God, he's going to just finish it off anyway. And he's got to rewrite everything. It's absolute yeah. pain. I mean, I've actually found a way to cheat around this, but we, we can talk about that. Do you write both? I used to write two copies. Like, in no. Fin- Fifth set, like Federer and Djokovic, you remember that really long Wimbledon one? I, I had two match reports on the go that I was just updating both of them. There's no uh, other way to do it. I mean, like, if you're going right so the, there, I think. The way you can do it, and this is boring journalism chat, <laughs> but I basically write a breakout and then update that. So yeah. I will yeah, publish okay. a story, so like, two, if there's a good newsy bit in the middle of the match, I'll do a story on that and then flesh that out to become a sort of match report. Yeah, that's so. There you go. Now you've got one of the uh, tricks of the trade. Tricks of the trade. Um, we've got about five minutes left by my my count before I think we've all got to try and rush on with our days. Uh, we should just briefly. Oh, Calvin, you've got got some exciting news, have you? Oh, you're still on mute, actually, which is the most exciting thing. Superb. Well done. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Um, I think what well, we should we should take a quick minute to talk about that Alcaraz hitting maybe one of the best shots I've ever seen. Right. The, yes, the- absolutely. <laughs> we could probably have about three hours on this. Um, uh, okay, I'll try and describe it for people who haven't seen it. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put it on our Twitter. But basically, Djokovic uh, puts the ball is at the net, and I'm trying to remember if it's a lob or whether he just pokes it past him. He just not a lob. Past him. No, it's not a lob. No, because yeah. Alcaraz is out of position, uh, having recovered a drop shot, and Djokovic just puts the ball down the middle of the court. And if you actually listen to the sound, the crowd are applauding. Like, they're applauding the winner because they're like, oh, right, well, that's, that's Djokovic won that point. And Alcaraz tracks it down and then basically gets himself on the half turn and whips it, I mean, sort of forehand angle to pass Djokovic on the forehand side. Like, double crosses himself uh, for a winner. I, I've never seen anything like it, George. Well, it's funny you say you've never seen anything like it. There's a great clip someone's put on Twitter, which you should also put in the show notes if you can find it, of Federer doing a, a similar thing against Now Bandy, and I think in 2006. But my, I was looking at both clips and I was thinking, first of all, Djokovic's drop shot on Alcaraz was infinitely better than Now Bandy's. Like, it was a bit of a miracle even got to that in the first place. And then the Federer one was a bit of a loopier, higher, more of a lob from Now Bandy in that kind of gave him a bit more time. He was up to the ball quicker. It's still amazing. I'm not not diminishing it. But I think the speed of the Alcaraz one from both the drop shot and, as you guys are saying, it wasn't really a, a lob, more just a, a normal shot that makes it so much harder to 
kind of get back, have time to hit it through. I mean, it was crazy. The the main difference and why the Alcaraz one is way better than the Federer one is that Alcaraz slides into it. Yeah. Like Federer's running into it and turns and sets himself. Alcaraz has the, the wherewithal to slide into the ball and he's hitting it on the slide. He's hitting it mid-slide, if you watch it, which is phenomenal. You know what's funny? I know, obviously, we'll say that's a better shot because he won the point. But he hit a backhand earlier in the match that I think was a better shot in terms of... I could <laughs> not believe he actually hooked that back into court. It was absolutely insane. Djokovic put away the volley, I think, straight afterwards. But it was absolutely mental. He got to the ball, which seemed like it was an entire body length behind him. And he then managed to hook it back in with a good pace. Like If Djokovic had been like off his toes, he might have won that point as well. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it's, I say it's one of the best shots I've ever seen. I always say that you can't. The best shots, you, the best shots of all time, have to be at big moments, mm. at game-changing moments, like the greatest goals of all time. You can't have the greatest goal of all time. Like, can't be the seventh goal in a nine-nil win or something like that, because you know you do things that that you wouldn't do under pressure. So it's one of the best trick trick shots in inverted commas I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. I had to watch it. Like I watched it live, and I was like, I don't really understand. I was like, has he, has he hit a tweener? Like, does he? Like, what? I, even Djokovic was like throwing his arms in the air and applauding because it really was um, something special. Uh, and you know, you sometimes we obviously discuss Djokovic a lot, and you know, he winds us up. But I thought he was very gracious afterwards. Um, he said some. He said he, they stopped at the net when the match was finally finished, and it. You know, the last hour was not a contest. It was just so quiet in the stadium, just huge disappointment. And then uh, he stopped in there and he said, you know, you have a lot of time, you're young, you're going to win this tournament a lot. And he's right. And, I, you know, I know sometimes players say that sort of as a cliche, but it felt kind of a bit more poignant in this particular situation. Calvin, go on. It did make me think just when he said that, though, James, that I remember at the end of the US Open when team beat Zverev. And I think one of them said, I think it was maybe team said, you know, you'll win many of these and we'll play in many more finals. <laughs> thinking like, don't, don't think you're going to, lads. I yeah, don't think that's no, going to happen. It's not worked out like that. I was just going to say, I mean, there's probably a degree where this match, the way it's panned out, is actually good for tennis. Like, I think if Alcaraz had won this too well, too comfortably right now, and there's a degree of, you know, there's a nice change of the guard angle, but equally... It's better to change the guard if the guard is still quite good at the time. So I think there's probably a degree where this will look like a good moment to then build this rivalry. Hopefully we get four or five good matches between them for the rest of the year. A couple more at the slams would be amazing if we can get that. And then I, I do also sense that Alcaraz will really move past Djokovic in the next like 18 months. Like I, I think there were times in that match where I was looking at it like, God this kid's level is so good and his mentality is really good that it's hard to believe Djokovic is going to be able to kind of maintain the ability to stick with him like beyond 18 months to two years. Um, So I think there's a degree where this was a good, good match to happen in terms of setting a narrative for what will be an inevitable shift, I think. Um, Right. What sort of very quick answers, um, because I know we're tight, uh, what does Kasper Rude have to do, if anything, to beat Novak Djokovic? Uh, Hope Calvin, his leg's good. broken. <laughs> <laughs> Calvin, have you got any words of wisdom for Kasper Rude? I think he's got two hopes. 
um, <laughs> Bob Hope and No Hope. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob Hope, I think he's probably, he's either dead or he's about 98. <laughs> Again, George, have you got any well, this is just such a funny thing. It's like if you think about how like feverish we were getting about Murray when he was hitting his third Grand Slam final, being like, "It's a matter of time. He's definitely going to break through." It's like Casper Ruud. I, ju- I just cannot see him ever winning a Slam, and I mean that in a nice level. I think he's a good player, but he's got to three Slam finals. I, like fair fucking play to this guy. Like he's, I mean, he's, he's not he's got... that good. Like he's a good player, but that crazy. he has the strangest career though. He basically doesn't have. Doesn't, I mean, he's got. He's had some good two fifties, to be fair. But at the bigger <laughs> tournaments, other than the ones that he's reached the final of, his record is absolutely terrible. But he's there. He's almost like. He reminds me of like one of those footballers who. I mean, I I get into a lot of trouble like talking about Harry Kane like this that he scores a lot of goals but absolutely no important ones. Yeah, and it's like he's a. He reminds me a little bit of that. Does Kasparudin that he's always there when no one else is. Like, you, you know, it's like of all these slam finals that he's reached, the three slam finals he beat, who's the best player he's beaten in any of them? I mean, you could say, look, the win against Holger Rune was good because Rune's been in good form and there's a bit of there's a bit of needle between them. But, you know, it's like, he's been, look at like Zverev and Rude. Like, Zverev's been in no sort of form. Rude's been in no sort of form. That's a semi-final. Yeah, I mean... The two wins he's had, which are Rune and Zverev, it just felt like Rune had peaked at the right time in terms of fitness. Like Rune had looked really kind of flagged by then. He played a lot of tennis. Zverev, as you say, was in no form coming into this. Got like quite a decent draw, I'd say. Yeah, big kind time. of just made it through. He's pulled out of Stuttgart now with a, I think a hamstring problem, maybe or a, a quad problem. So they're okay wins on paper, but I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd just be absolutely astonished. He just doesn't have enough to hit through Novak, which is what you really need to do, I think. And I just, I just can't see it happening. If you'd have yeah. said like, if, if you'd have said three weeks ago that Rune's in the final of the French, because he's just in, it's been, you know, everyone was saying, "Geez, Rune's going to really fly down the rankings because he's got French to defend, U.S. Open to defend." But he's already defended the French, and he hasn't got. He hasn't. He basically, because of how his career works, he doesn't have anything to defend until the U.S. Open. Like, from the, the two fifty between Wimbledon and the Wimbledon yeah, of the U.S. Yeah, on the, play, the, the Gustav type. <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah, but if you're if you're that high in the rankings, you can swallow up two fifty. You can swallow up yeah, two fifty yeah. drops off, no problem. But he hasn't got anything else to defend until U.S. Open, so he can probably make. You know, he probably makes points because it's hard to imagine him having as bad a hard court season as he had last year leading into the US Open so mm. he'll probably even you know say he wins a couple of matches at US Open he'll pick up the other points on the way there and he'll still maintain his ranking of like three in the world or whatever he is mm. four, four at the moment yeah, um, yeah I, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty remarkable really Casper Ruud is a three time Grand Slam finalist and we all think he's never going to win one like it, when's um <laughs> When's Holger Rune going to start winning his 14 French Opens, by the way? <laughs> he's running out of time. 15 needs, right? 15 needs. 15 right? Okay. Well, he's right. going to be 21 next year, and that would mean he's got to win every French Open until he's 36. It's a big ask. Right. He'll have learned a lesson from this year, though, won't he? I mean, Novak's comments are always really interesting after the tournament, and Rune should look at it like Novak says, I don't really care about the rest. I'm here to peak for this tournament. And yeah. Rune 
definitely peaked too soon. He definitely ran out of gas. You know, it'll be interesting have to, to see. Have if to pull kind of... you up on the pronunciation, George. It's Runa. 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 Oh, sorry. Right. Runa. But yeah. Um, the, the main problem with that, getting that right, is I've now started calling him Casper Ruda, which is just <laughs> like, honestly, it's bad. They can't, I think Kasper we should Rude, ban Holger, from playing Runa. each other. It's too confusing. Yeah. They um, play quite yes. often, don't they, at the minute? No, they love yeah. it. Yeah, he, he will certainly learn a lot. Um, he looked pretty cooked in the final of Rome, to be honest. He's played an awful lot of tennis. Um, and yeah, I, look, this kind of um, stamina required at Grand Slams, like from a physiological perspective, it takes time. Marathon runners peak when they're 34, 35, because that type of muscle takes time to develop and that type of endurance takes time to develop. Um, I don't know why. I'm not a, a biologist on any level, but I do know that as you get older, your stamina, to an extent, gets better. There's, and there's definitely a mental side to it as well. Yeah. You know? yeah. There's no way Novak is fitter than Alcaraz. I mean, Novak's an incredible specimen. He's a bit weird, but... You know, he's not fitter than Alcaraz in pure, like, explosion terms. Mm. But what he does know is his body so well and just how to handle everything, the nerves, the pressure. You know, that's why he's so good at this age, even if he's not quite at the level he was maybe five years ago. Well, he's got his, like, thing that he puts in his heart now, hasn't he? So I assume that's (laughs) made a major difference. It's uh, It's weird juices. it's, It's a nanocrystal that emits photons. It converts body heat into light and projects them directly into your central nervous system. Just just to be and, clear. Um, I should get one of those. Any of you lads have been struggling from lack of photons in the nerve recently? <laughs> I've been feeling that way for quite a while, actually. I've, I've got too way. many, if anything, actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, on a serious note, uh, this is a product with very little science backing it, and it's mostly marketed to people with multiple sclerosis. Please don't buy one. They're 250 quid for three. They're total nonsense, as far as I can tell. Why do you need three? Uh, they do run out, apparently. The nanocrystals oh. lose their power. There are apparently uh, a very funny tweet from Alex McPherson, who works for WTA. He replied to my tweet about it saying, well, I bet there are no side effects. <laughs> Which I thought was quite clever. Yeah. Um, I'm it's sure a... it works for some people. You talk about the crystals is making me think of that Peep Show episode where Mark like dates that woman who's into the crystal skull. Oh, the crystal skull. <laughs> <laughs> and he yeah. smashes very good, very good. I mean, uh, I, I'm going to get in trouble if I start talking about Novak and Crystal Skulls. Um, uh, we've not talked about the women's final, which I, I admit is remiss, but like I said, it's probably going to happen before you listen to this. Uh, does anyone think Shontae doesn't win in straight sets? Uh, no. Uh, funnily enough, uh, I think I saw the odds. Shontae's more of a favourite than Djokovic is, which I'm slightly surprised about because I think Mukova has a higher level than Rude, to be honest. Like, I, I've always really liked Mikova. It's, she's had a lot of injuries, a lot of problems. She, she is capable of big wins, and she's beaten Barty before, hasn't she? At Australia. She's never um, lost to a top three player. She's played yeah, five she, matches she, against She is good at them. that kind of level tennis. Um, mm. So I, I don't see it quite that way. She could win a set, but I'd be shocked if Sviontek's not the player lifting size. And fair play to her. I mean... I didn't pick her in fantasy because I was a little bit worried about her physical condition coming into it, and she's just absolutely blitzed everyone. So, yeah, great stuff. Very good. Uh, we will talk about it uh, depending on who we've got, either tomorrow or Monday. Uh, we've got two more French Open pods by my uh, by my maths. Uh, so I think we'll let the lads go. Uh, thanks so much for listening as always, and please do come back tomorrow. 
Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.